Testament reading this morning is Psalm 37. We'll be reading the whole psalm. It's on page 498 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. Psalm 37. This is the living and abiding Word of God. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, gnashes gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent the bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. 
The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 5. We'll read 1 through 11. Our sermon text is going to be verse 5. It's page 852 in the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, would you feed us your holy word? We are a pilgrim people, a people in the wilderness. We need your heavenly manna, the very bread of life, our Lord Jesus Christ. So feed us, we pray, with him. Feed us with your word. Feed us with our Savior. We ask it uh, for his sake. Amen. There's something that's just devastating about the way Jesus starts his sermon here in Matthew chapter 5. It's devastating to our pride, devastating to our sense of self-sufficiency, as Jesus goes through, and he, right, he's laying out, as he starts this sermon here, as Matthew records it, he's laying out for us the defining marks of a kingdom life. What a citizen of this kingdom of heaven that he's preaching about, what a citizen of this kingdom should look like, and, and how the, the citizen of this kingdom should live. And, and as he's doing this, as he's giving us this description, he's, he's pulling out one by one the props of our self-sufficiency and our pride. So that by the time he gets to the third beatitude, it feels like everything just comes crashing down. He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, if you're a kingdom, uh, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you've got to be a beggar. You've got to see yourself as a spiritual beggar, totally bankrupt, 
No buying power with God. No chance in yourself to earn His favor or to earn His blessing. You've got to see yourself as a sinner to your core with no hope in yourself, no spiritual resources in yourself. That's devastating to us, to our self-sufficiency. Then he says, you don't just have to know this, but then he says, blessed are those who mourn, who are, who are grieved over this fact of their sinful bank, spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who, who, are, who are mourning, who are homesick for heaven and feel their great distance from it and feel the, the pain of that and who are grieved by it. And then he comes and Jesus adds a third beatitude. He says, blessed are the meek. So the spiritual poverty that he starts with means that I have to be meek now also towards others. I have to be meek. I can't insist on my own rights and assert myself before God or before others. I've got to so recognize my spiritual poverty that I don't claim any rights before God or, 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 or I don't insist on my own way and assert myself before others so that, so that I'm actually gentle and humble towards other, uh, others. Even those who rub me the wrong way, even those who sin against me, I've got to be gentle with them. So see what Jesus does as he, as he starts. He leaves our self-sufficiency with no place of escape. We need to be reliant completely on God and His grace and on the King of this kingdom of heaven. We've got to give up every last notion of self-sufficiency, humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves before each other, Jesus says. This is the first lesson in the school of Christ. These are the ABCs of discipleship and of citizenship in his kingdom. These are the secrets, he's saying, to the truly good life, the blessed life, the life that God smiles on. These are the, these are the very basics, the foundations of that life. And these aren't things the world values at all. Right? These, these are things the world mocks and despises. What Jesus is saying here is uh, completely opposite from the picture of the good life that the world paints. He's saying the good life is to be poor and to know it and to cry out to God for grace and mercy and humble yourself before Him and before each other. Now this, um, in the third beatitude, which we're looking at this morning, this contrast comes out really sharply. The contrast between what Jesus says we should seek and what the world says we should seek. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Uh, the world, The world doesn't often say that. The world says, no, you should insist on your own rights and demand your rights. You should assert yourselves. You should loudly demand that your needs and your desires be met. You deserve it. You should be ambitious for your, for your own desires. Be loud. Be proud. Right? Go get it. Get what you want. Jesus says, that's not how you live in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek in my kingdom. Jesus tells us that citizens of his kingdom will be marked by meekness. Are you meek? What does he mean by meekness? That's the first thing we need to see this morning. What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the meek? What does he mean? Uh, meekness was not seen as a, as a virtue in his day either. It was seen as a vice. 
um, in, in Roman culture, you, you, meekness was equated with being servile, just being a doormat, letting people walk over you and, and do whatever they want, much like it is, much like it is today. Um, if you go look at the definition of meek that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary gives, the second definition they give is that it means to be deficient in spirit and courage. Is that what Jesus means? Not at all. He doesn't say, blessed are the doormats, blessed are those who are deficient in spirit and courage. That's not what he means by meekness. What is, what is this meekness that he's talking about? Well, we read earlier Psalm 37. And you, you, you probably noticed there that right there in Psalm 37, uh, verse 11, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, Jesus here, Matthew 5, 5, says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So Psalm 37 is, is clearly the background to what Jesus is saying. So to get a, a full, good picture of what he means by blessed are the meek, we should go look at Psalm 37, a bit of the context there. And if we go there, we see that the psalmist says, just before he says in verse 11, uh, that the, the meek shall inherit the earth, he says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And then he goes on, and, and then verse 11 he says, The meek shall inherit the earth. So he's drawing a, the psalmist is drawing a connection between waiting on the Lord, humbly submitting yourself to God's person and God's providence, and waiting on Him, not fretting. This is where meekness starts. This is the first part of meekness, and it's, and it's Godward orientation. It's, uh, it's complete submission to the Lord and complete submission to the providence of the Lord. It begins with being content in who He is, being content with the providence He's given you, the portion He's placed before you. Meekness means you don't get angry with God and grumble and complain against Him. It means you don't, you don't uh, fight against His providence. It means you don't try to force His hand. It means you don't get impatient with Him. You, you trust His methods. You trust His timetable when you're meek. Especially when things aren't going the way you want them to. Especially when the wicked are prospering and the righteous like you are, are, are suffering. All right, David here, as he writes this psalm, he's describing being surrounded by the wicked, doing wicked things, and seeming to live the good life at the same time. So he's, he's telling his heart to be meek, to submit to the Lord and trust Him and trust His timing and His methods. It looks to David like the strong, self-assertive, uh, those who demand their rights, those who go violently take what they want, those are the ones inheriting the land. Those are the ones getting God's blessing of the promised land. But he knows that it's the meek that, uh, that will inherit the earth. Right? He, he looks and he knows God is going to destroy the wicked and he's going to deliver and save the meek. So that's the first part of meekness. Do you have that? Is it a mark of your life? When things get difficult and things get uncomfortable... What's your response? What's your heart's response? 
with trust, waiting on the Lord, patient contentment uh, in, in His providence, confidence that He's going to take care of you and, and watch over you through this? Or do you respond with doubts and grumbling, right? Saying, I've got rights. You, you shouldn't treat me like this. Meekness says, may the Lord do what seems good to him. Submits to him. That's where meekness begins. That's the Godward direction of meekness. But it's also, right, it also relates a lot to how we treat others. We see this as well, that meekness is, is, is how we then respond to one another. We see this brought out in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So meekness begins in submission and trust in God, submitting to Him, submitting to His providence. But then it, then it, it extends from that into humble, gentle attitudes towards others, towards sinners. Sinclair Ferguson It's a wonderful little book on the Sermon on the Mount. And he writes this about meekness. He says, It is the humble strength that belongs to the man who has learned to submit to difficulties, difficult experiences, and difficult people, knowing that in everything God is working for his good. The meek man is the one who has stood before God's judgment and abdicated his supposed rights He has learned in gratitude for God's grace to submit himself to the Lord and to be gentle with sinners. See, he brings together both those aspects, the Godward and the the direction towards others. To be meek then means that towards others, you don't assert your rights over others. It means that you put them first. It means you're gentle and patient with others. You're not easily offended by others others, right? You don't approach your relationship with, with others as, as thinking primarily, what can I get here? But how can I serve? What's my duty towards this person in Christ? What has my king told me to do in this relationship I have? It means you don't walk around thinking that people should really treat me better than they do. I deserve better from other people. Instead, you walk around wondering how people can treat you as well as they do, given your sinfulness. It means that you are gentle with sinners. Scripture holds out two great examples of meekness. There are others we could see, but but it holds out two in particular. One's Moses. In Numbers uh, 12, verse 3, it says, Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. This, uh, This wasn't Moses' natural personality, as far as we can tell from Scripture. He was a bit of a hothead, wasn't he? I mean, he sees uh, an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he goes and he kills the man in a rage, right? Uh, Moses is not a pushover. He's not a doormat type. right? He's a fighter by personality, by disposition. He doesn't back down before Pharaoh. God uses that strength of his personality. But at the same time, he learned to be meek. right? It's not that his personality was like this. It's God's grace in him making him like this. 
the Lord taught him. How did he do it? Well, the Lord took him out in the wilderness for 40 years, even before he called him to go back to Egypt and deliver the people. He brings them out into the wilderness. He makes him wait. He makes him learn to trust. He makes him learn patience through difficulty. And he teaches him to be gentle. And he, he, does, he takes Moses through that process again in the wilderness as he leads the people of Israel through the wilderness. He continues to teach him. And we see Moses struggle with his meekness from time to time. But God's grace made him the meekest man of his generation. One of the commentators says, this is often how God works in us as well. God wants us to be meek. But first, he may have to break our pride, destroy our sense of self-sufficiency, and humble us under his mighty hand. He sends trials. He reveals the secret ambitions we have hidden in our hearts. He uncovers our reliance upon ourselves. Then, as he patiently changes us, he develops within us this meekness. That's one example, an encouragement to uh, any of us who don't feel meek by temperament. Right? The grace of God is sufficient to make you meek as he's called you to be. Second example of the meekness that we see is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says that he is meek. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, the word is meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, I'm the meek one. I'm the one who's gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle with sinners. I didn't come to break the bruised reed and snuff out the burning wick, but I came to bring healing. I came to bring salvation. That's who Jesus is. He's gentle. Loved ones, has he not been gentle with you as well? Right? Jesus isn't gentle in the abstract. He's gentle with sinners like you and me. He's patient with us, isn't he? He's meek towards us, isn't he? His meekness led him to the cross, right? He, he humbled himself before God. He submitted himself to, before God. It wasn't easy, right? There he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, wrestling his heart to submission to the Lord. Right? He's going to be meek before God. And, and then he's not only meek towards God, he's also meek before us. He comes and he serves us and he's gentle with us and he's patient with us. How many times has Jesus Christ forgiven you for the same thing he forgave you last week? How many times has he been gentle and patient with you? He's meek. So how can citizens of such a king then turn around and not be meek? But if we've come to understand how meek he is towards us. How can we not be meek with each other? So loved ones, don't insist on your rights and don't assert yourself and don't put yourself first. Don't count yourself more significant than others. Don't be impatient with each other's sins. Yes, it's hard to be patient when people sin against you. Be patient with them for Christ's sake as He is with you. Be gentle. Be gentle with sinners. Be gentle with His church, just like He is. How do we become meeker? We can't fake it. We can't, we can't just, by sheer willpower, make ourselves meek with each other. 
we, we can't do that. This only comes by the grace of God. How do we do it? Well, we've got to see Christ. We've got to see, as we've just been looking at together, his, his meekness towards us. The more we come to understand that and taste that and experience his gentleness with us, we'll learn to be gentle with others. Charles Wesley has a hymn that expresses this desire to be meek like Christ uh, really, really wonderfully. It's called Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. Um, there was a time when I, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Right? I, I, Jesus, gentle, meek and mild. Right? Isn't he the king and the warrior who comes to crush his enemies? Yes, he is. At the same time, he's also gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Charles Wesley puts it like this. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. Fain I would be as thou art. Give me thine obedient heart. Thou art pitiful and kind. Let me have thy loving mind. Loving Jesus, gentle Lamb, in thy gracious hands I am. Make me Savior what thou art. Live thyself within my heart. Let that be our prayer, loved ones. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm called to be meek. It doesn't sound like a very good uh, way to live, though. In this kind of world, in a fallen world, a world like we have, it seems like if you do that, you're not going to end up very well. People are going to take advantage of you. They're going to walk all over you. They're going to mistreat you. Well, perhaps in some respects, right? Christ is meek and he is, right? He suffers much at the hands of sinners. But Jesus isn't calling us to be fools and to let other people uh, manipulate us and, and walk over us. He's calling us to be meek, which is not the same thing as being weak. But, but what, is, what is the reward? Meekness is costly. It costs us everything in a sense. So, so what is the reward of being meek? That's what Jesus tells us next, isn't it? They shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. So let's look at the blessing now. We've seen the, 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 the characteristic, this, this meekness we're called to. What's the blessing? Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Imagine for a minute, right? P- pick one of, the, one of the famous rich people, right? Elon Musk. $300, uh, $300 billion net worth. And imagine you get a letter that, that he's written you into his will, and you're going you're gonna to inherit Think, think of that, that, that inheritance, right? You've been made heir to such a huge and, and, and awesome inheritance. And, and you feel just bowled over with excitement and joy. You've got such an inheritance like that. But, but the inheritance that Jesus promises the meek citizens of his kingdom is so much better than that, right? That $300 billion is nothing compared to what Jesus promises those in his kingdom. What does he mean when he says, we'll inherit the earth? If we go back all the way to Adam in the Garden of Eden, we see this promise of, of the inheritance of the earth even there with Adam. God gives Adam a stewardship, a sort of a kingship, really, over the earth. He, he gives Adam the earth to work it, to care for it, to keep it, and to inherit. He gives him that. And, and Adam, of course, tries to then not be meek. He doesn't submit to the Lord. He tries to usurp the Lord and, and have it for himself. Uh, and so he loses his inheritance. 
of the earth. He's kicked out of the garden, and the earth is cursed. And it's uh, now it's set against him. Right? He's fighting it now instead of being blessed by it. But God doesn't just give up. He, um, he raises up Israel. He raises up Israel as, as his son again, and, and he gives them an inheritance. He gives them a promised land, a portion of, of the earth, right? The, the, that land in Israel. And it was, a, it, was, it was to be their new Eden, their inheritance of, of the earth. And he gives it to them, and the promise is that uh, God is going to extend the boundaries of this promised land to cover the whole earth. Psalm 2, 7 to 8. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. God promises the king of Israel, ask of me, I'll make you uh, to inherit the whole world. He's going to extend the boundaries of the promised land to encompass the whole world and give it to his people. We see this also in Daniel 7.14. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in the Old Testament, God is telling his people there's an inheritance. Yes, you got the promised land, but it's going to be bigger than that. It's going to extend to cover the whole world. That's going to be your inheritance. But God promises something even more than that. Not just, right, as he's promising them the promised land and he's promising to extend it over the whole earth, he's, he's promising them something more than a physical, earthly promise. He's giving them the heavenly promised land. He's promising them, really, a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. God is promising his people. You are going to inherit a new creation free from the curse. And so as, God, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This is what he means. He means that those who are humble, submissive, meek before the Lord, gentle towards sinners, marked by that as citizens of his kingdom, that what is coming to them is nothing less than the heavenly promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. That is our inheritance. It's a glorious thing. It's, it's unimaginably good. The language scripture uses for the new heavens and new earth pushes the very limits of our ability to comprehend it just how wonderful it will be. We're told it's a place where perfect righteousness dwells, where everyone is free from sin, living right before God and right before each other. Imagine that. No sin. No sin infecting your relationship with God, infecting your relationship with your family and your neighbors. How good that would be. Unending and perfect peace and perfect security and perfect prosperity. Every good blessing from Him. No sickness, no pandemics, no wars, no cancer, no food shortages, no, no conflicts of any kind. Just this perfect, wholesome relationship with God, free from all trauma and anxiety and fear. How good this will be. 
not the slightest shadow cast over any aspect of it. We'll be raised up with new bodies to live forever in communion with God and sweet fellowship with each other. Most of all, it's going to be this good place because that's where God dwells with His people. Where God and His people live together in sweet communion forever and ever. Where God gives Himself to us. He gives all that He is to us for us to enjoy Him to the fullest extent forever and ever. This is the place, as we, as we read earlier in Psalm 16, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in our God. That's our inheritance. What can compare with it? There's a hymn, Jerusalem the Golden, which describes it for us. Jerusalem the Golden, with milk and honey blessed, the sight of it refreshes the weary and oppressed. I know not, oh, I know not what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory, what bliss beyond compare. The Christ is ever with them. The daylight is serene. The pastures of the blessed are ever rich and green. There is the throne of David. And there from care released, the shout of them that triumph, the song of them that feast. To God enthroned in glory, the church's voices blend. The Lamb forever blessed, the light that knows no end. That's our inheritance, loved ones. We get a taste of it now. God gives us His Spirit as the guarantee, the down payment of it, so that we're already possessors of that inheritance and we already taste something of it. Paul writes about this over in Ephesians 1.14. We know that Christ has gone into that inheritance. He's our King. He's going to bring the citizens of His kingdom there to enjoy that kingdom with Him. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.21 that that means that already everything in the universe belongs to the Christians. Paul writes over there in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23, he says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Paul says, everything is yours. If you belong to Christ, right, He's inheriting everything and you're a co-heir with Him of everything. Everything's been made to serve the Christian. God has enlisted everything for our blessing. This is the foretaste of that full inheritance that's coming. But the focus here in Matthew 5.5 is not so much on that foretaste. It's really on the future. Throughout these Beatitudes, Jesus reminds us of this aspect of his kingdom, that the blessing is now in part, but it's coming in the future in full. It's an already not yet blessing that he's promising in this kingdom. And the emphasis here is especially on that not yet aspect, that future aspect of his blessing. Jesus wants us to keep our eyes up, loved ones. He wants, he wants our eyes to be on his kingdom and the blessing that's coming in the future. We should be driven by that vision with our eyes on Him. It's so tempting, isn't it, to, 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 to look down at the inheritance of this world and it's so close to us and tangible for us that it's tempting to, to say, well, that looks better. I can enjoy that now. 
why should I, why should I look for the inheritance of this uh, kingdom of heaven that's coming? But the inheritance that's coming is so much fuller and better, isn't it? C.S. Lewis has put it well. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus is saying, keep your eyes in the kingdom. Don't be too easily pleased. Don't settle for an inheritance now. Look for the inheritance that is coming, the new heavens and the new earth. And he doesn't present it to us as this is, this is a possibility. He says this is a certainty. It's guaranteed. It's a concrete reality. You will enjoy this inheritance. Nothing in heaven or earth can threaten our inheritance because there is no stipulation in the will that says it, uh, if he fails in this way, he's out. All right, Jesus is the one who purchased this inheritance for us. Right, that's why this inheritance is not just a kind of a, a, a something. It's a possibility, or, or, or just like a pie in the sky hope, something in the future that that might happen, that might work out. No, this is a certainty, because Jesus Himself has secured it. He secured it by His meekness, loved ones, laying down His life, humbling Himself before the Father, being gentle with sinners. He earned this inheritance. And now he holds it out to you and he freely gives it to all who will trust in him, all who will receive him, this glorious blessing. So come, come and receive Christ and the inheritance he offers. Don't hang on to your self-sufficiency and your pride. Come and humble yourself before him and learn from him. Receive his mercy and receive then the blessing of the inheritance that he promises. Let's pray together. Our great God, thank you for your grace to us in your Son. Thank you for his meekness. Make us like him and bless us in him, we pray. Amen.